stay the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies, and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AV line. And yes, a bit more traditional intro. The Elvis book has disrupted my existence, and that includes scheduling. It's like Hermes came to pay a visit, and he won't leave. But here we are, in this age of constant and permanent change. In this age of Hermes. So why not talk about the death of the comic book superhero? Let us bid farewell to the superhero in movie and print while honoring the comic book tradition and understanding what archons kill the medium. Heading this holy service at the virtual Alexandria will be Chris Knowles sharing a eulogy and his new book, The Spandex Files. And you know we'll be talking about Sethian Gnostic Jack Kirby, Chaos Magician Grant Morrison, Solar Magus Alan Moore, and other exemplars of magical comic book history. And as always, please support if you find any value in this content. The Gnostic Revelation is more important than ever, and I can't do it without you. I am very grateful for those of you who come through every week. It's not hard to contribute. For example, you can simply pledge a few dollars a month on my Patreon. One-time donations are really appreciated. It really helps, and I can use all the help, as we all do. Other than that, let us to our latest AV Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. You have to stop this. Everyone will die. And the universe will not even notice. In my opinion, the existence of life is a highly overrated phenomenon. Just look around you. God damn, I love working on American soil, Dan. Ain't had this much fun since Woodward and Bernstein. How long can we keep this up? 
Congress is pushing through some new bill that's gonna outlaw masks. Our days are numbered. Until then, it's like you always say, we're society's only protection. From what? Are you kidding me? From themselves. What happened to the American dream? What happened to the American dream? It came true. You're looking at it. Welcome, everybody, to AM Bite. Yes, we live in a world where men still have nipples. Birdie num num, done dirt cheap. Again, welcome, everybody. So glad to see you for this very special show. Uh, my name is Miguel Connor. I am your pompous of noses. I'm the magic man, but so are you. You are so full of magic, you don't even know your potential yet. So, we are here to help you understand how amazing you are, and all it, you have to do is take that inner journey and shove that red pill suppository, and everything will be all right. Um, and yes, let me let, there you go, he's back in the matrix of Aeon Bite. Um, so, uh, as Elvis sang and Bowie echoed, Every man has a black star over his shoulder. Now, the good news is that every man has a secret sun over his other shoulder. And that makes a huge difference if you would just find out and look for that secret sun. And with us, as always, it is an honor to have Chris Knowles, who always helps us find that secret sun and that astronosis. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How's awesome. my levels? <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. I'm I, sure. Can I can I just tell you a quick story? Yeah, please do. I just discovered this because um, <laughs> you, you kept talking about the secret sun, the secret sun. Well, it turns <laughs> out that the Cocteau Twins Publishing Company is called um, Sol Apre Minuit, mm -hmm. which means the sun after midnight. Which is really? the whole source <laughs> of the secret sun. Everybody goes, what's the secret sun mean? Because like, everybody thinks I'm talking about Sirius or Saturn or something. Yeah, and I, I have to tell them. It's like, no, I, I had these dreams all my life that I'm out after midnight and the sun's out. You know what I mean? But it, it's like in that scene in Mulholland Drive. And it's kind of like it's half, it's half night. You know what I mean? Right. So... Uh, that's what the secret sun actually means. People have always asked me that. And, and I think they're always kind of disappointed when I tell them what it really is. But <laughs> just talk about an amazing synchronicity. Yeah, no kidding. That's Did you just find out today or recently? Well, I'd always kind of seen it, but I never really thought about it. And, and just being a dunce and not remembering any of the French that I learned in high school, I thought Minuit was minute, but uh, it's midnight. So it's the same exact uh, concept. Yeah, yeah. Well, amazing. Yes, as like you say, it never ends. So it never ends. What are you going to do? Just keep going with it. Keep going with it and enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vance, always barking at both the Black Star and the Secret Sun. Vance, how are you? Woof, woof. Yeah, the sun is just the tip of the iceberg, right? <laughs> I found out too, and I'd forgotten that um, what's the name of the band? Radiohead has a song called "Black Star" in the bends, and I was like, "How did I forget?" It's such a great album, but oh, blame it on the Black Star, blame it on the satellite. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a great out, great song, great album. Um, yeah. 
you read my piece where I strongly believe that Bowie's whole act was kind of inspired by the original Captain Marvel. Not the original Captain Marvel, but the original Marvel Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And on the death of Captain Marvel, which he, you know, it's got that uh, Pieta, Michelangelo's yeah. Pieta, which he reproduces on the cover of ours. Yeah. Um, but on the graphic novel of Death of Captain Marvel, since we're going to be talking about the death of superheroes, right? <laughs> it's kind of the topic of the show. There's a big black star. And then he was replaced by the Monica Rambeau character. And her costume was a big black star. Mm-hmm. So I kind of broke that down uh, in the blog a few years ago because it kind of uh, kind of blew my mind. But there you go. Yeah, I was reading. I read it about a month ago while I was doing research. Yeah, the connection and the black star and all that. So uh, yeah, again, it never ends. <laughs> well, Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Junior, Elvis. TCB. Bowie, yeah, it's all. Bowie. Elvis had the black star. Yeah. Bowie travels through electricity in Twin Peaks. I mean, yeah, you can just go nuts. You might, <laughs> you'll be up after midnight, Chris, if you keep this Yes, up. yes. <laughs> awesome. I try not well, to do that anymore. I'm trying to go to bed at a decent hour and my, you know, I get older. So you never get up in the middle of the night like you're laying there. Oh my God, I got this idea. I got to write this down, or you just wait till the morning and hope you still remember. Uh, I get up in the middle of the night because my dogs are uh, just not giving me any room, They're pushing me off the bed. Mister Puddles, Mister Puddles, Mister Puddles. Well, you've been so nice to him. You've been taking him to get laid across the country. Yes, <laughs> yes, down down in Pennsylvania for booty calls. <laughs> ah, he's a stud, huh? Oh, he is a stud muffin, yeah. Nice work, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, for those of you in the chat, I see you there. Good to see everybody. As always, don't turn the the chat into the Chatico. If you have any questions, please uh, super chat them so we can separate them. You can do just like a buck, but that way we can get your questions in one column. And uh, because, again, these uh, shows get busier and busier, and it's hard, and, you know, it's like, the, the comments just tick up and down, and it's hard for us to get us. So other than that, not much else in uh, housekeeping. Please support this show. Definitely support Chris's work. Uh, if you're looking for voiceover, uh, please keep me in mind. And, uh, yeah, go- other good shows coming up. Uh, Saturday, we will have a show on the Tree of Death and the Kelepoth. So expect some Archons this weekend as a reverend barlow gee joins us and uh, if i think of something else i will let you know so is well that let's how get it's to pronounced the... kilopoth oh my god don't yeah i don't i was i was i wanted to get away with it just if i say it really fast nobody yeah oh. i don't know Clipoth, <laughs> kilopoth i don't know Man, well i'm never sure how it's pronounced so i just say yeah. clip clop like Worcestershire sauce, yeah, might as well have Worcestershire <laughs> clip off or something. Yeah, get the coconuts out. Exactly. Well, Chris, tell us about your new book, The Spandex Files. What's up yes. with that? Well, this is a book that's been in the works for a number of years, but kind of sped along since we're really watching the collapse. Twenty twenty three is really the year of the redeath of superheroes. Um. Our Gods of Spandex, which was published in 2007, was in many ways inspired by um, a series of 
comics and then later a collection called Kingdom Come, um, which was done by uh, an artist named Alex Ross, who was the son of a minister and was very fond of the classic golden and silver age superheroes and kind of saw them as his gods, you know. And this book, this series, later collection, came out in 1996. Well, the comic boom, the, the post-Batman comic boom, you know, when you had comics selling in like the millions of copies, just was completely collapsing because most of it was driven by speculators. But I really wanted to mark this because in the wake of 9-11, we saw in the comics that, you know, that that whole idea of these comics as gods, as new gods, was really taking hold. And I wrote the book at least a year, well, more than a year before The Dark Knight and um, Iron Man came out, which is really the start of, you know, the great superhero golden age you know the sort of the true golden age the cinematic golden age of superheroes i had written it long before that happened i had actually written the bulk of it in 2005 which is you know you had batman begins but really was nothing like what it became so we all know what happened we all know how the superheroes really came to dominate hollywood and really helped keep the lights on in Hollywood. That's something that people don't really appreciate is how the profits from superhero films and all the revenue that they generated, you know, ancillary revenue that they generated was really keeping most of the studio system solvent, okay? <clears throat> now, they screwed the pooch, okay? They killed the goose that laid the golden egg, you know? Um, Disney is a, a really a, a walking disaster of a company. I, I, they're, they're just built on massive amounts of debt. Um, and because they were so debt-written, they were exploiting the hell out of their two um, aces in the hole, Star Wars and the superheroes, the Marvel superheroes. And they killed them. I mean, they really did. And if you doubt that, don't pay attention to, you know, oh, this gross or that gross, all this nonsense that people talk about. They don't even know what those numbers mean. Just go to a toy store, okay, and just look at all the unsold Star Wars and Marvel merchandise that you're going to see at nearly every toy store, if they even bother to stock them at all anymore. <laughs> and it's it's over, you know, it's over. And that's why sort of inspired me to bring this book back out of mothballs which i've been working on for quite some time and i used it not only to mark the end of the superhero era but to sort of say my last goodbyes to you know to comics and superheroes that had defined my life for so long i mean i learned how to read with a, a coverless 80 page giant superboy comic when I was three years old. I mean, it was almost four, but I was still three. And I just remembered I was under the table at my mother's friend's house, and all of a sudden I understood what those little symbols meant, like I could put it together. You know what I mean? So it just it defined my life. I mean, my first full-time job was working at New England Comics. 
uh, who later became known for the tick, um, popular TV shows and cartoons and so on. Um, I worked, I freelanced for Marvel for 25 years. Um, you know, I first went freelance because I was getting so much work from them back in 1995. So, you know, superheroes and comics really defined my life. I mean, I was able to raise a family and buy a house and all that good stuff with the money that I was making working for Marvel and, and other people, you know, doing stuff like Disney and so on. Looney Tunes, all that good stuff. Um, <clears throat> so it was such a part of my life. And I just watched it kind of not only myself, but a lot of other people like sort of be taken away from us. You know, it was like a religion that was, you know, kind of like when Constantine took over the Christian church. Right? <laughs> just like, <laughs> we're going to do things my way now. Right. Right? I mean, no more, none of this, you know, none of this Gnostic and Marcion and all this nonsense. We're doing right. things the way I say we're doing these things. And what had happened is that, you know, people like um, George Soros and Larry Fink and all these big, uh, financial companies came in with ESG and DEI, you know, all these um, programs, uh, really, which are just divide and rule programs, and kind of forced, you know, the whole, let's just use the term, woke um, contagion into the stories and into the comics and the movies and stuff. And it um, it killed everything. It, it really did kill everything. And people don't realize how bad it is. Okay, people don't realize how bad it is um, because when these comic book movies don't make money, they don't produce all the merchandising and licensing, which is a huge source of all these companies' income. You know, it isn't just the box office and all the rest of it. It's T-shirts, lunch boxes, uh, bed sheets. You know what I mean? All the stuff that I did all the you know most of my work for. You know, I started off doing a lot of work for toys, and then it all you know just became all the you know I did all this work based on the movies and so on. So I mean, I would go see these movies. They would have, you know, Marvel would have premieres and, you know, we'd all get invited. They'd have them at the Ziegfeld in, in New York. Mm. And um, <clears throat> I just got sick of it. I mean, the last superhero movie I saw was the first Avengers movie. And I just said, well, you know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> it was because I just I, I just I was so tired of the formula. You know, first of all, I knew all these stories because I read all these comics when I was a kid. Right. But I was so tired of the formula. It just, those movies just all felt exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember uh, a few years ago, it was Christmas Eve, you know, it's Christmas night. And we're like, oh, let's, what do we want to do? You know, we had this new large screen TV and we're like, well, why don't we watch a movie? And we're like, well, we couldn't decide what to watch. And we're like, why don't we watch Endgame? And I, I made it about 15 minutes and I just said, I, I, I hate this. I hate this. It isn't just like, oh, this isn't really my cup of tea. It's like I just felt this physical revulsion that lifted me from the seat and pushed me out of the room. And I think a lot of it is that those effects just look so stupid on TV screens. They look awful. They look like it just looked like a video game. 
you know, like Spider-Man would be like just bouncing around, and I'm just like, come on. Is and, there a uh, what was the last comic book uh, movie that you liked? Did you tell us that? Well, I mean, I liked the the Avengers movie. Okay, um, I liked the the, the first Thor movie. Mm-hmm. I you know the first Captain America movie was okay. Um, <laughs> I don't. It's interesting too because a lot of the book, a lot of the Spandex Files, my new book, you know, uh, the um, death, rebirth, and redeath of comic book heroes. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is about movies. Since the first book, span, you know, our gods with Spandex was much more about comic books. This is much more about the movies, but it's also about the occult and Gnosticism and the paranormal yeah. and all these sort of ideas. You know, I talk a lot about like Alan Moore's work, for instance. But I also look a lot at the movies, and you're not only like what we recognize as comic book movies, you know, the the Marvel movies, DC movies, but also movies like Fifth Element and Dark City, you know, Mm -hmm. which are very, very heavily influenced by comic books. The first Matrix film. I mean, you know, as much as I hated Avengers Endgame, it was nothing to the hatred I felt for the <laughs> Matrix Revelations and Matrix Reloaded. I mean, I don't even get me started. I, 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 the the hatred that I felt for those movies was so blindingly intense. Um, but you know, I don't like the first Matrix movie all that much. But you know, there's a lot of interesting ideas. I don't think there are any interesting ideas in the sequels, but there are interesting ideas. You know, sort of this ham-fisted, dumbed-down Gnosticism that was interesting because it hadn't really been done to that extent in Hollywood before. You know, I I much prefer Dark City. I think Mm -hmm. Dark City is the... But I don't even know if Dark City can really be classified as Gnostic. It seems to be more pagan almost. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But there is, you know, obviously the strangers in Dark City are the archons, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. they they really are. But it's funny that you could have this very almost explicit sense of some aspects of Gnostic theology, but it's serving a much different kind of story. I mean, because really John Murdoch, a.k.a. Oannes Marduk, right, Mm -hmm. is a solar savior you know what i'm saying and the whole thing is all about shell beasts it's all about you know sexuality the vagina you know what i mean (laughs) all this kind of stuff i mean it's it's much you know much different film than the matrix and there are a lot of interest you know comic books were an interesting thing when i was growing up in the 70s because you had all these sort of hippie freaks come in and they brought all these weird hippie ideas in with them. You know, they brought in the occult. They brought in psychedelia. They brought in conspiracy theory. I mean, that's something that's kind of forgotten is this, like, how many of those old 70s comics are just laden with old school conspiracy theory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Kirby, Mad Bomb. I mean, <clears throat> I cut my teeth on that stuff. You know, it's like, that was such a part of my worldview. But comic books really were a very you know since they were so cheap and people who did them were always you know they didn't make any money from them really there was no real money certainly back then 
And they did them because they loved telling these stories and they loved sort of introducing all these weird, strange ideas into the stories. So I was, I felt, I felt really lucky because, you know, I learned how to read comic books or just how to read like 69, 70, right? So that sort of primed me for the 70s. So like, I remember like really vividly seeing an ad for like Jack Kirby's New Gods when I was, you know, when it hadn't even come out yet. You know what I mean? So all this stuff was all like, I was writing it as it was happening. You know, I was buying all these comic books that had just, you know, became movies and became legends, Watchmen, Dark Knight, all this kind of stuff. I was buying all this stuff as it was coming out, you know, like I was really in the mix of it. And it kind of spoiled me for, for the rest of it. You know, like, you know, it's kind of like you go to war and peacetime seems like just so boring. You know what I mean? You, you miss that rush. And I really did miss that rush, you know. Um, but I was able, like I said, I was able to build a career on it, um, raise a family, and so on and so forth. But it really is over now. And I feel in so many ways that it was, how do I put this? You know, it's like, you know, getting back to the Archons with the Matrix and Dark City. It's, it's almost like the Archons decided that the best way to really destroy everything would be to reinvent them, you know, to sort of put on these Neo masks or these, you know, John Murdoch masks, you know, like to present themselves as, I don't know, as aeons. <laughs> I don't even know what, you know, it's like, but it it, it, it was a, a true form of cultural appropriation. And then, like I said, you had all these like cultural studies people starting in the post financial crash period, sort mm -hmm. of streaming in and it just it got really ugly around 2014 2015 when that element just became the dom dominant element and kind of drove every you know started drawing lines in the sand and started driving you know all these other people out but i'll tell you something i remember in 2000 it was 2003 or 2004 I was at the San Diego Comic-Con, right? And that was when it was magic. I mean, going to San Diego Comic-Con was like going to Oz. It was just <laughs> awesome. It was it was just like you just meet like brothers from other mothers and misters from or sisters from other misters, you know. I mean, just people like you just would it was it was like a, a great respite from dreary reality. <laughs> but I remember seeing, like, there are all these kids, mostly girls, mostly young girls, sort of sitting in the lobby, you know, looking very dowdy mm -hmm. and pink hair and all the rest of it, you know, all the stuff that became kind of a, a cliche, and just, like, glaring at people, like, just looking very, you know, not happy, like, oh, my God, I'm at San Diego. This is great. This is, like, my dream come true. Mm -hmm. Like just looking very miserable and unhappy and angry. And I remember, I, I forget who I, who I was with, but I remember pointing to them and I said, that's the end. That's how it's all going to end. That's how it's all going to end because all these 
these kids who are raised on this stuff and they don't realize how rare and special it was. They, they you know, they they were able to take it for granted. And then they saw it as a venue, you know, for all their agendas, you know, their personal agendas, their their resentments and their angers and so on. I mean, not that that stuff hadn't been in in comics all along, but it, it really took over. And it's it's sad to me, but I start to wonder, is that just a, was that the cause of the symptom? You know, because everything lives, is, is born, lives and dies. So were, were all these elements that really people blame for destroying this magical other world, mm -hmm. did they destroy it or they just, you know, was it an opportunistic infection, let's just say? You know what I'm saying? No. So, um, God, I'm just rambling. <laughs> no, no but I, mean, I, I wanted to. I wanted. To it's a good a eulogy, Chris. It's a good eulogy. Well, I wanted to. <laughs> well, I do write. I wrote like three eulogies, three separate eulogies <laughs> in this book for for the you know comics and superheroes, um, just because it you know is is that kind of important to me. But first of all. I really blame the rise of superhero culture for helping infantilize an entire generation. Yeah. You know, it gave people a way to never grow up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I remember when I was 13 years old, I just turned 13. Right. And I remember the last comic book I bought for like two years, maybe two and a half years was an issue of the Micronauts. And I just said, this is kids stuff. <laughs> you know, just, you know, this is like I'm, I'm. I was into punk rock and Cream magazine, and you know, girls and stuff. I mean, I, you know, getting high and drinking. I mean, I was pretty feral. You know, typical <laughs> Gen X latchkey kid. And I just like, you know, this is for kids. And it's just like it's amazing to me because when I started working at New England Comics. If you saw somebody come in over 20, you were like, are you into like little boys or something? Like, why are you here? Like, what are you doing here? You know, because it was all like the, the, the main on, you know, the main clientele when I was working at, at the comic book store was like in between 12 and 17. You know what I'm saying? So if somebody came like, I mean, God forbid, some, a 30 year old, you were like, should I call the cops? <laughs> but it's like, we've been so infantilized and it's like, I kind of feel, and I was thinking about this tonight. I was, I was, I was taking a walk and I was thinking like, was our gods with spandex, you know, cause I, it gave me like this amazing ride. Right. But mm -hmm. did I go on this amazing ride because I was part of this agenda? Like they, they, people saw this, you know, like I was on ABC and, you know, all the, you know, Voice of America, NPR, I mean, all this major media pr promoting this book. And I think, like, was I just being used because they saw superheroes as an excellent way to infantilize people and then start to um, condition them towards transhumanism and all these weird ideas that are just kind of destroying everything? Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of wonder if, like, if that's really what it was, you know. Um, it's it's ironic to think about, but 
there was definitely a, a program and an agenda to push this stuff. And there was a lot of money behind it. And I think that, you know, as I write in the book, it's like, in the, in the end results, I think it had a very deleterious effect on culture and society. You know, and a large part of that is the infantilization of adults, you know, who should be, you know, 30-year-old guys should not be reading, like, X-Men comics. They should be reading <laughs> Marcus Aurelius. Do yeah, Dostoevsky. Or Dostoevsky or <laughs> Tolstoy. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, just even, like, Raymond Chandler or Elmore Leonard. I mean, they should yeah, be reading, yeah. you know, they should be reading, like, these stupid stories about these ridiculous idiots and ridiculous costumes, you know, but I mean, here we are. And I think, I do think, you know, in some ways it's a double-edged sword, but I, I do think in the end result, like the final tally, the bottom line is that I think that the popularization of superheroes to the extent that we saw it, is a, is a net negative on a culture. And that's something that I really, you know, I wanted to address in some of these opinion pieces. But I also sort of wanted to celebrate, like, how important the stuff was to me when I was a kid. You know, um, a lot of the weird ideas that sort of be, came to mark my life and The Secret Sun were stuff that I read in the 70s in comic mm. books, you know? So, I mean, it, it isn't all negative, but I just think, like, they should... Comic books should be for kids, they, and they should stay for kids. You know what I mean? Um, I remember back in 85, 86, like after Dark Knight and Watchmen, I was thinking, like, what else is there to say? You know, what else is there to say? And that was almost 40 years ago. You know what I mean? And then 30 years ago. You can only like, deconstruct something so much, right? <laughs> it's, you know, but one thing that I say is that myths aren't forever. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's like all of a sudden the superhero myth just doesn't work anymore. You know, and certainly the superhero is God myth doesn't work anymore. And it's like nearly every superhero film that's been released this year has lost like over a hundred million dollars at the box office over a hundred. And that's, that's even with the phony numbers that we see in the papers and so on. And I'll tell you, I know for a fact, it's much worse than that. Because even when they were saying like a movie like Captain Marvel made a billion dollars, it's like, no, it didn't. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Well, it's all <laughs> money laundering. I mean, something like yes. Indiana Jones should not cost 500 million or 300. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you said it, it's a money laundering scheme, which is part of what they like. <laughs> well, that's, but let's see, but that's Hollywood. Hollywood became a huge. Um, laundromat for drug money in the eighties, mm -hmm. and you know this this isn't me just saying this. I mean, this is this is this is pretty well known. 
I mean, this has been published. People have written books about this kind of thing. Um, I mean, we know some of the more extreme cases, you know, somebody like Roy Radin or something. But we had all this money coming in from South America and nowhere to go. And it found its, its, its salvation in what they call Hollywood accounting, right? <laughs> the magic of Hollywood accounting, where, you know, you can get a billion dollars in gross receipts and say you lost $300 million on the picture. <laughs> it is you, you know never mind your alistair crowley or you know your your grimoires or whatever i mean that is true black magic that's the real deal you know what i'm saying i mean that is a, that is a level of black magic that just transcends any type of sorcery that you can imagine so but they're gonna, they're still gonna do it, Chris. Yeah, the comic book hero had its run, like you said, it doesn't last forever. But with the success of Barbie, they're gonna mine effing toys to bring those out. The video oh, yeah. game industry, we forget, is even bigger than Hollywood. So there's a mm. lot there, and of course, manga and anime are huge. Huge. Mm-hmm. There's a lot mm. again. The money laundering, the black magic, social engineering like creating these false gods and make sure that we never were always acolytes, childish acolytes in the temple. That's not going to stop, right, Chris? Same as it ever was, the black magic. Well, I think novelty has a lot to do with it. And I was listening to, um, somebody was talking about, maybe I was reading it. I, somebody was talking about what really is the secret behind Barbie was not only did you have sort of a pre-sell, you know, um, with these toys that generations have sort of clutched to their hearts, it, it hadn't been done before, you know, um, how many times can you do these superhero origin stories? It's like, it's like homework. It's a slog. It's so boring. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's like every superhero that you introduce, their first movie has to follow that formula. It has to follow that origin story where, you know, it's just somebody, just an ordinary schmuck and sort of comes across these powers or some sort of source of power. And then they have the big um, conflict, you know, the big battle with their nemesis, who's usually somebody they know or, you know, somebody from their family or friends or, the, you know, whatever. It's, it's always somebody that they have some sort of contact with. And that's every one of these goddamn movies it's so boring it's so oppressive so i think with barbie i think that was a major part of it and plus the fact that all the superhero movies that came out this year were uniformly seen as is terrible mm-hmm. as just terrible movies that they're, they're all just bad and the other thing too is that um with the special effects too um this incredible over-reliance on CGI. And all these CGI artists are just getting burnt out. I mean, listen, I had a I have a, a, a friend of mine from high school, right? And the guy went out to California and got into doing video game animation. And he was making bank. I mean, he was doing really well. Uh, and after a few years, he just left. And I said, you know, what happened? Why'd you leave? And it's like, he said, I didn't want to die. You know, he said he was watching people have heart attacks at their, at their desks, people getting cancer, 
I mean, oh, the stress was just so bad. And and so what's happening now on a much larger scale, uh, like the Marvel um, CGI people are, I, I think they're threatening to strike or they are striking. Um, these companies just want more and more and more and more detail and more and more rendering. And they don't want to pay the money. You know, they don't want to pay a fair price for it. And people are just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Or they're going off to do video games or whatever. You know, they're doing, they, they, there are other places to, to ply their trade. And one thing that I heard from uh, the, the latest Ant-Man movie and also the latest Flash movie is people, I mean, I, I wouldn't go see those if you, you know, held a gun to my head. But <laughs> people were saying like that the, the, the special effects were awful. No, the look. animation was terrible. And um, what I've heard is I think on the on the Ant movie, it wasn't even actually finished yet, but they just had to put the movie out because they had to make a schedule. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, w- when you have that expectation that every movie has to make a billion dollars or it loses it loses money, you can't sustain that. And um People, I think in the past couple of years, more so than over the past 20 years, like in the post 9-11 period, I mean, cultural consensus just has completely collapsed. People do not feel like they're part of the same culture anymore. Superheroes, I think in some ways, were the last way for people to sort of have that common or the communal experience, you know, because you don't really get that in football or baseball, you know, certainly not baseball anymore. I mean, every baseball game I've seen for the past, I don't even know how long, like the stands are always a third, a third empty or a third full or whatever. Um, So superhero movies. Football until the, like you wrote until the military got its hand on football. Yes. Well, they certainly did. They Mm -hmm. really use it as a recruiter. So we don't have a shared culture anymore. And not only do we not have a shared culture anymore, but we're increasingly becoming balkanized at a rate that I've never seen in my lifetime, and I'm sure you haven't either. Um, the balkanization in, in this country has just become so extreme that everything sort of becomes a political statement. So are you going to see that new Marvel movie? So it's like either, yes, I am because I support Hollywood and I support Disney and so on. Or you say, <laughs> fuck that. You know, I I hate those people, you know, Um, they hate me. I see them on Twitter all day talking about how much they hate me. I'm not going to, I'm not giving them my money. So it was kind of like the last commons, the last last cultural commons that we had, certainly in America, is gone. And it's going to be interesting to see how, what the knock-on effects in the culture and in politics and society and everything else are going to be when there's no longer a common like a t- common touchstone for people to share because like i said that was the end of it and and we're in that post period now and it really makes me wonder how that's going to affect a country where there are 300 firearms just floating around <laughs> you know? Uh, we're we're in terra incognita. I, I think. you think so? Yeah. Do you think, think maybe it's time to split up the country, or what do you think is? Oh, I think the I I thought the country was going to split up thirty years ago. Did you? I mean, okay. you know, 
largely because every country splits up. Countries, <laughs> you know, I mean, people think that countries are like, you know, um, these sort of these a priori uh, things that, that were written in stone before, you know, the dawn of time. I mean, you know, countries are always coming together, splitting apart. I mean, just in my lifetime, we saw, you know, the, the breakup of the Soviet Union, the breakup of, or, you know, the devolution of the um, United Kingdom, you know, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia. Um, Africa on, continues on. to change rapidly. Yeah. Yes. And Africa is sort of re-decolonizing now, you know, trying to get, you know, the French and everybody out of there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the, the United States cannot cannot stay together. It just can't. It's it's always been um, a patchwork of wildly different cultures and and political and social um, concepts. I mean, people tend to forget that it was completely different, you know, linguistically. You know, you had people in, say, Pennsylvania and Ohio, mostly speaking German. You had people in the Midwest, uh, say, Minnesota or the Dakota, speaking Scandinavian languages. People in the Southwest speaking Spanish. Um, it's, oh, you know, people in Louisiana and so on speaking French. The United States is, no, the United States is, I, how, how do I put this? I mean, it's overdue for for an adjustment. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, um, countries used to be organized around geography and resources, but now are being organized around the structures like cities, sub suburbs. Well, rural. I'm glad you brought that up because look what's happening in all the major cities right now. Yeah. I mean, they're becoming ungovernable, you know? Um, gosh, I mean, you guys saw the floods last Friday. Yeah, in New York City, which were just, you know, yeah, there was a terrible storm, but a lot of that, it's very interesting to me because I was tweeting a couple of weeks ago about how the the infrastructure in New York is not only old, but it's never been well, you know, it's never been properly maintained. So a lot of this flooding just had to do with because all these storm uh, drainage systems failed. They were just mm. overwhelmed. Okay. And, you know, I don't remember in my, I mean, I remember some pretty bad storms or like when I was working in New York and stuff, just, just in my lifetime. I've never seen flooding like that in New York in my life. Even during Sandy? Not even during Sandy that I can Wow. Think, you wow. know, um, well, it's interesting because Sandy, Sandy kind of battered the coast, right? The Jersey Shore. And then it just sort of, took a sharp left turn and tore us. And, and, and actually my area was one of the, like the worst hit by it. And the thing is, is that it didn't, it, it went inland. So New York, never New York never got like the, the brunt of it. New, New mm. York city. I mean, they, they, they got hit pretty hard by all the rains and stuff, but they didn't get like the, the what we got, which was like the next day, I felt like I was in Berlin, you know, those old newsreels of Berlin after the fall. I mean, I'm not kidding. It, I've never seen like that kind of mass destruction in my life. And I'll tell you something. 
it just kind of really changed the way I saw the world because you just realize how temporary it all is. You know, it can be take everything you have can be taken away with, from you. And, and in this case, overnight, I mean, people were trapped in their houses for like a week, you know, because trees had fallen. And we had a tree fall. Um, gosh, we, we lost power for almost three weeks, two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. And it was cold, man. I mean, it got cold. And I remember, you know, talk about like a, 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 I don't know, I don't know what the Gnostic epiphany would be, but like going out, standing out in my porch while, you know, the, the center of the storm just passed right overhead and hearing this noise, the sound, like I can't, I can't even imagine, I can't even describe it. I've never heard it. I've never heard anything like this in, in a movie or anything. It was like somebody opened the gates of hell. You know what I mean? And and all the damned came rushing out at once. That's the only thing I can liken it to. So, anyway. Oh, boy. Well, uh, <laughs> I think we should get into some, uh, what we talked about, what I want or... Well, you, I know you had some things you want to talk about, so you, yeah, you had yeah, some but first, things you wanted to point out about the book, yeah. Yeah, Vance, uh, any questions from you or the audience? Um, I... Not from the audience so far. And uh, I was going to, um, I was going to ask you, Chris, if you, um, if you liked uh, kind of some of the oddball movies like um, Deadpool and uh, some of the other weirder superhero movies, or those well, kind of. Eh. What what one I did like quite a bit was Mystery Men. I love seeing that Jeffrey so many times. Ben Stiller, Janine Garofalo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's that was, a great that one. Uh, that one's very obscure. It's kind of forgotten. Um, yeah, yeah. The Sphinx and one. all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think like other superhero. What movies about that. like a subtle one, like a history of violence, which most people don't know is was based on a. Comic. Well, I didn't really go into that because I mean, yes, it came from a, a graphic novel, but it came from a graphic novel that was part of a line. I think it was the Paradox line. DC's paradox line where like they wanted to do like novels that had no genre trappings, so to speak. Mm. They wanted to do like almost like literary graphic novels. So, I mean, I did see that movie and I did in, you know, it's Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Yeah. yeah. How, how can you go wrong with Cronenberg except for <laughs> um, existence? That's how you can go wrong with Cronenberg. Other than, you know, like everybody, everybody, you know, everybody, yeah, you kind of, you know, you give them a pass. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that really yeah. qualifies. Other thing I was dying to ask you, and then we got a super chat is what do you think about all these things? I know you're mostly a Marvel guy, right? But this is a DC comic side of the thing. All this shit that's happened to Superman over the years. I mean, comes, he goes, he's American, he's like not American, he's well, I'm dies. Glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because, okay, so, you know, the, the foundational superheroes are Superman and Batman. But Superman and Batman are just total ripoffs of other characters. Um, Batman is just the shadow. Mm -hmm. So much ah. that, like, the early Batman stories were actually not only, like, rewriting shadow stories but they were like swiping artwork from them and just like just total Amazing. swipes i just saw this video about bob kane the quote-unquote creator of batman who didn't create anything he just 
uh, he was just a total I, everybody and apparently everybody in the business like just absolutely hated this guy and um there were two guys it was like bill finger and jerry robinson who actually did most of the work for him um but yeah the shadow who i think is is a much more interesting character i mean the shadow who gets his uh, powers from like you know it's a very theosophist kind of idea he went to he went to the Himalayas and studied. Under of course, these, gotta go to the Himalayas. Yeah, and he studied <laughs> under these fakirs or you know city mystics or something. And that to me is much more interesting character. And just the fact that like Lamont Cranston isn't even actually who he actually was. It was like this assumed identity. Um, but Superman is. Um, it comes from two different sources. Uh, that are pretty well acknowledged. One is uh, a novel by Philip Wiley called Gladiator. And it was basically about a, like a created Superman. And it's kind of like I got a downbeat ending. Mm. But there's also a character who was also the basis for Superman mm. called uh, Doc Savage. And he had like the, um, <clears throat> he had the fortress, of so he had a fortress of solitude and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, he didn't have the kind of superpowers that, that Superman ah. had, but. He was like super technology. So the problem with Superman is that it's such an old character and it's been done. You know, all the Superman, all the interesting Superman stories were told a long time ago. Yeah, that's what you, you know, it's kind of like Mickey Mouse. It, you know, it's a character that kind of becomes like um, a staple and sort of an institution. But totally, yeah. You know, but, but the audience. You know, kids like, you know, when you talk about manga and anime, because, you know, because kids feel like that that's their language, that's their stories. You know what I mean? It isn't these boring old characters that are, are almost 100 years old, like Superman and Batman now. You know, I mean, it's like it, they have their own stories. They have their own language. I mean, it's all very weird. I, I think it's altogether unwholesome, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> Um, but I think, you know, with Superman, it's just like, what do you do with his character? I mean, you know, he, he came out in what, I think he was first published in 1938, you know, hundreds of comics. He had a newspaper strip. He had a television show. He had a bunch of movies. What else can you say about this character? What else can you do with this character? There's nothing else you can do. It's just... Make him fight Batman. <laughs> well, it's see, been done. It's been done. Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. This is, I think, is the is the another one of the problems that we're having. Um, Mutate him. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, every they did that. They've done all that stuff, oh, yeah. you know, because they did well, all the red kryptonite. Oh, the red kryptonite stories. Yeah, and blue kryptonite, and red kryptonite, and. Yeah, I mean all these ridiculous <laughs> stories. See, when I was a so when I was a kid, like I was, you know, a huge Marvel guy, most of the part. Um, the DC stuff I read were like House of Mystery and Witching Hour and stuff like that. I liked their like quote unquote horror comics. And I liked the Shadow and I liked, you know, Commandy. I mean, I liked all the like non super I didn't like really like the DC superhero stuff. I liked the non-superhero stuff, at least in the 70s. But it was like so Marvel was like this is something that I don't think people realize because kids are so catered to, and there's just this massive infrastructure feeding kids entertainment around the clock. I mean, they you cannot be a kid and go and go without entertainment for a millisecond. But back in the 70s, like there was nothing. 
You know, there, there was those Saturday morning cartoons that you all grew when you were seven or eight because they were so bad. They were terrible. The animation was like... Yeah, Hanna-Barbera. You know, I mean, just awful. Um, <laughs> like all Barry Hound. You know... Um, Underdog. <laughs> there, you know, it was really... It was just Marvel Comics. It was like, if you were like a weird kind of kid and, you know, just didn't want to watch television or play football or something... All you had was Marvel Comics. That was it. There were no video games. I mean, yeah, we had Pong and 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 Seawolf and you know, and then we had asteroids and and space invaders, and we thought we're like, you know, this is the wave of the future. I mean, this is like the cutting edge. It's like we're gonna just Hey, I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. That's what killed a lot of time. So. Well, you know, people have asked me about that. And I remember, I remember being interested in it because I'd see the ads and stuff in the comic books for it. But it, th there was nowhere to get it. Like, there were no stores around me sold it. I mean, like, I'd go to the mall, and I wouldn't see it at the bookstores. It was all sold, like, in specialty stores, mostly in the city. I had mm. no access. I mean, I probably would have been really interested in Dungeons & Dragons, provided I could find something to play it with. But I, had, I just had no access to it. Mm. You know, there was no place to go to play it. Um, it was it was completely a non entity as far as, as I could tell until the mid eighties, you know, when they started selling a lot of that stuff at comic book stores. Yeah, but didn't you when you were a kid like we did, uh, I know I did, um, go out and actually physically play to be superheroes? Like, you know, I'd be the flash, my friend would be Superman or whatever. We'd do our own little acting. You know, because we didn't even have the money for a lot of comic cooks in that case. Uh, you don't want to know the kind of stuff that we played. Um, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't play superheroes. Um, yeah. Say doctor. We, we were, you know, I mean, I've, I've said this and I talked about this in the Endless American Midnight, you know, that it, it just seemed that at some point in the 70s, like all parents decided to completely abdicate their responsibilities and go to discos and key parties and transcendental find themselves. Yeah. They had to find, yeah, go themselves. find themselves. Um, you know, we, we were shockingly unsupervised and um, I, I'm surprised that, you know, myself and my friends and a lot of other people didn't wind up more dead you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I knew a lot of kids. I knew a lot of kids, you know, um, death, like my sons, they've had a lot of friends die because there was that big heroin uh, epidemic, like in the 2010s, uh, early 2010s, that just wreaked havoc on their social circles. Um, but in my, in my coterie, it was more deaths by misadventure. And I, I could tell you some stories that would curl your hair of some of the, you know, kids that I knew that died spectacularly gruesome deaths. So, wow, yeah, we we did not play superheroes much. I mean, even when we were younger, you know, we play, I mean, we played a lot of sports. We played a lot of wiffle ball and football. And you know, as soon as as soon as it got cold, we were always out and playing ice hockey and stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I, I don't remember playing superheroes all that much generational difference i guess so <laughs> what's well, that much we're not too much you know 
distant from each other in age either. But, you know, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. Mm. Yeah, that was um, being a Gen Xer was kind of like having a very keen understanding about how everyone before us had it much better, especially your generation. You know, uh, kids who grew up in the 50s and 60s just had it much better than we did. Um, but then, you know, that that's why we clung Marvel Comics to our bosoms, to our collective bosoms. You know, I, I think that uh, that had a lot to do with it. Um, but anyway, so here, let know. me get to a super chat here. I think I see oh, one. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot this. From Freckled Joy asking, what is your opinion on the hidden movie in The Shining? Um, <laughs> and thank you for that. I that's an excellent question. There was, uh, you know, yeah, forgive my ignorance, but I didn't, I only saw one movie. <laughs> well, there, there were actually, there was a movie in a miniseries. Stephen King decided that, you know, he hated the movie so much that he was going to make. Uh, oh yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. Um, the shining is, I think a, a, a topic in and of itself, to be honest with you. And you know, of course, they made that Room 237 documentary uh, that, that kind of goes into a lot of that stuff. Um, it's not, I, I'm very sorry, but I'm not sure that that's a question I could answer right now. Um, but I, I think that more discussion, even more discussion on The Shining, uh, I think, is warranted. I think it kind of deserves it, to be honest with you. Here's a simple one that you probably could answer. Do you think that, um, uh, oh man, senior moment here, the guy who made The Shining, guy uh, Stan, uh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, mm. do you think Stanley Kubrick actually knew all this stuff and put it in the movies and all this symbolism in the, yes. you know? The, okay. Yeah, I, I, it might not mean the same thing. Well, here's the thing. It, it might not mean the same thing that people have interpreted it as. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero. 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 H